Kia ora everybody, what's up? My name is Rebecca Hollis and welcome to Rebecca Live episode 327. Very excited for today's show. On today's show we have the one and only Catherine Sanford. She's the executive co-chair and CEO of UBCO, Electric Adventure Vehicles. Uh, they just won, they were the winner of the 2002 New Zealand High Tech Emerging Company of the Year, which is absolutely incredible. Going to be having a chat to her today about leadership and remote work and employees and electrification and a whole bunch more. Hope your week is going well. Hope you're going good. As I uh, say this, I'm currently traveling around New Zealand, going to a whole bunch of cool locations, been to Hamilton and Raglan. As I record this, I'm in Taupo, about to go to uh, Rotorua and the Mount. And watching the tone of the nation over this last uh, couple of days has been quite interesting. Somber wasn't the word, but a little bit interesting. It feels like there needs to be a bit of a woosah moment to get a bunch of energy and anger out of the stress and into a better future for us all. How that happens, I've got no flipping idea, but I get worried about a future of New Zealand when people are just happy with the status quo and happy to sit back instead of going on offense, offense versus defense. And uh, so if you're there today with whatever you're up to, go on offense. Defense sucks. Send it. Let's get into the show. Kia ora Catherine, how are you? Hey, Robert, I'm great, thank you. I'm hanging out here at the Mount Beach this morning, so it's uh, it's a nice spot to be. Well, not just you're hanging out at the Mount Beach, I can see from the video chat you are sitting in an epic camper van in one of the great, greatest spots in all of Aotearoa. How good is it that we're now living in a world where CEOs can we just we can just hang in wherever we are as long as we've got an internet connection, the joys of technology. That is so true, and honestly, you can't see from where you are, but I'm within you know, 100 metres of the of the shoreline so it's uh that's pretty spectacular just maybe on that to to kick around with is do you think the mindset around professionalism and 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 influence and power of what it should look like on a day-to-day basis in the workplace has dramatically shifted through covid gosh what a great question you know i think it's all about authenticity uh and just being who you are and i think as leaders as you know as workers, we go about our work uh, and get it done, and and that's really what's required. Um, where you are, and uh, it doesn't matter. Um, it's about who you are and and how professional you are and achieving what you achieve. And so, you know, for me, this this makes me a better leader. Actually, being able to work from places like this and not have to be eight hours a day at a desk in the office, um, I have time to think and I have time to you know just dream a little bit more perhaps um, and I think that I'm far more effective because there's the flexibility around that so yeah I think it's all about authenticity. Well I remember when the first lockdowns happened there was you know I was talking to a, a few different people and they were trying to figure out how to show up to their new Zoom calls and <laughs> all the way from okay so I, do I wear makeup or not and then or do I wear a suit jacket but I've got my board shorts on or like how do I navigate this 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 new look and feel and what ended up happening by the end of it is I thought it was really cool how it just it showed leadership was just open and transparent and more vulnerable because they had to just show up to the people wherever they were at you can't fake it for that long right 100% and you know picking up on the makeup thing you know I I don't actually wear it any wear any time any longer and I mean gosh what a time saver and how ridiculous it is that so many mostly women uh, spend so much time of their day doing that 
and feeling that it makes them better in some way. It, it doesn't matter a damn. And so I'm I'm grateful for that. <laughs> uh, the makeup's gone from my bathroom and it's, it's really awesome. The, mate, there's so much to get into. It's a great way to start it because not only that from how they show up, but also the types of leaders they got exposed over the last couple of years. You know, when I was talking to a few people about it was, there was nowhere to hide for bad leaders through what we went through. So the good ones got highlighted, the bad ones got exposed. There's been a big shift out as everyone's trying to come back. But maybe to to point Catherine is, you know, as they start to morph back, you're basically saying it doesn't matter where you are, but it's about who you know who you are and and, and what you get done. Do you think from a, a you know you're a fast growing business like a recruitment standpoint, the values of how you choose to work are really st- using as an advantage to gain better talent now? Like, has it, how has it changed the employment pool when it comes to like the way we're now living or working? It's a hundred percent impacted that in a really positive way. So I think we're more able to recruit because we're flexible. You know, we are looking now at global policy and how we allow our employees to move around the world and operate from different areas where we operate as a business. Um, that's pretty exciting that, you know, you could take your family for three months and hang out in Oregon, for example, um, and and that's completely okay. So actually enabling those things, I think, is part of our culture now. Um, we've definitely got roles where there's a need to be in the office a certain amount of time. You know, we're a physical product. Um, so it it does matter that people are there and and present at times, but we have flexibility across the board. Some people work in the office a couple of days a week, some people work full time, it suits them better. Um, Just depends on the individual. And I think that's that's what's really changed is that we're considering now individual needs and what makes people able to show up and do their work and do their best work every day. Doesn't really matter where they are. Well, it's also changed the dynamics a lot because if, if you look at the ecosystem around hiring, it's just become such an employee's marketplace. You can hardly get stuff anywhere for anything. So talent's just right right to the top. In the, in the States, there's been this new wave of people that have been taking second and third secret full-time jobs remotely, <laughs> plus all the benefits because they're so effective. And it's just this whole new world where obviously they're getting busted and it's probably not the right <laughs> the right thing to do. But but more around how when the, the employee has so much leverage when they've got the talent, in many ways, you know, obviously companies can probably bitch about it, but how good when, if you're good at something, you're actually getting paid what you're worth and you can be more flexible to be able to move with your family. You can dot, 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 whatever it may be, right? Like they're, they're making for better employees and obviously better work outcomes. I think, yeah, and that's ultimately the measure of success, right? What are the work outcomes? What, how's the business moving forward? You know, more, more quickly, um, you know, getting more stuff done because people are happy. Um, they're able to choose. You know, I think coming back to the point on, um, on recruitment specifically, we're, we're in quite a fortunate position, I think. You know, we're a pretty exciting company. We're getting a pretty decent profile, certainly here in New Zealand. Um, but New Zealand has a great profile in the States too, and we're attracting employees in to the US operation because um, partly uh, we're offering awesome jobs, but also, um, you know, the connection to New Zealand is pretty, pretty cool. So um, we're not having too much of an issue with recruitment at the moment. And in fact, I probably get four or five 
solicitations a week for people wanting to come and work and so i'm you know flicking those off to our people team pretty regularly um but no overall i think it's it is just awesome that people can choose what they want to do choose where they do it generally um turn up and be the best versions of themselves we we work hard to ensure that we've got alignment on values so we've put a lot of work into that um we've actually used upco as our uh, sort of framework for values we have unlock build connect and own and so we're sort of unlocking potential um you know unlocking a market opportunity we're building cool products but we're building capability um connecting super important you know customers but also connecting across our multiple sites and you know into people's homes and into their <coughs> excuse me into their families you know we i think we know families far more than we used to i mean we certainly know dogs and cats and you know and those kind of things more than we ever did before which is you know i mean i was on a call yesterday and just cat henry was just you know walking backwards and forwards across the desk and you know it was completely fine and and uh cedric was the fluffy white dog was sitting at my feet under the desk in the office yesterday because somebody had bought you know him in so all those things are just healthy they're just kind of life stuff that you yeah it's just normal well like you know so you got the unlock build connect and own now as a fast-growing global business is this kind of a bit of a framework you're using to help scale that culture remotely for either people that haven't been to the bits and pieces? Because that's one of the things I've been really kind of challenged looking at in the ecosystem where there's been, you know, millions of people hired and fired and whatever for businesses they haven't actually ever stood into. So, you know, they get this little package that pops up and it's like, hey, open it up, here's your little logo, here's the pen and log into your email or whatever. How, how, have, you, how have you thought about scaling the culture of what ICO does globally for potentially talent that has never actually been into the building and felt it like how how do you approach that yeah so i mean values is a big part of it we crowdsourced kind of input for values so you know obviously the team's grown a bit since we started the process and new people are coming in all the time but it provides you with a you know a framework for discussion um we have you know hashtag unlock build connect and own that people use you know throughout their various social media posts we use it internally uh, as well you know in comms uh, and it's it's been awesome to see how that's just taken off um, but the other thing we use is Clifton strengths and I, I don't know whether you're familiar with that but um, we brought that into the business at the beginning of last year so I guess we were in COVID already um, I'd actually come across it in a different context and thought that it would be a really meaningful way of having people understand themselves a bit better um, and you know great for building teams and things where you're trying to get complementary sort of strengths in the room and and so we started this process of having everyone do an assessment um, getting a little bit of coaching around that what does it mean for me and then what does it mean for me and my direct manager? So we've facilitated one-to-one conversations. Uh, we used an external coach for a while. We've brought it all in-house now um, into our people team, and it's it's pretty cool. But um, then we started using it on teams and having the teams work, um, you know, from more of a strengths perspective. And then ultimately we've brought it into recruitment. And so every final sort of two or three candidates goes through at the basic assessment 
regardless of whether we employ them or not, we give them a coaching session so that they can understand themselves. So there's value in that for them. Um, but it really helps us to understand who they are and what what really turns them on from a work standpoint. Yeah. And so we leverage that from day one. And then, you know, the first week they get set up with their manager to, to understand each other from that point of view. Uh, and I think it just accelerates that, you know, sort of getting settled in. It, you know, it's a key part of our onboarding process and I'm super happy with the way that that's working. So it's the, yeah, so coming back to your initial question, I think it's the combination of values and strengths that we leverage. And then we structure things using, I think we call it Pacey, um, in, in terms of, you know, when we're building a project and what the roles and responsibilities are around that. So we've got a bit of a framework for that too. So those back to those employees who are going through the, that sort of training beforehand, because you've, I guess, dug a bit deeper into what makes them tick beforehand, are you seeing the engagement pop off way better sooner because they really feel like they're exactly where they are for their strengths to get that that feedback of what they're really passionate about? Like, are you actually noticed there's a, by doing that at the start, you've actually kind of made one plus one equals three a lot easier and quicker and they're actually getting more engagement from the employees at an earlier rate? We're definitely headed in that direction. And so, you know, I would say with everyone new that we're bringing in, that really applies. There's, you know, there's some legacy stuff that we, we're still um, bringing along, but in general, it is having a very positive impact um, and, you know, I think, gosh, in all my years in corporate, I spent, you know, I got analysed to death through lots of different assessments and all that kind of stuff. But you're also always working on your weaknesses and trying to make, trying to improve. If you start from a position of strength and understand what you're actually really good at and why you are, then it builds a lot more quickly. Um, and I know, you know, for me, I'm really great at relationships I love this kind of one-to-one thing um, that relator is my number one strength um, I struggle a bit more in a crowd um, and certainly in a you know in a crowded room or on a crowded zoom so I much prefer a small group um, you know and then when it comes to arranging so arrange is my number two so you know I can take a lot of sort of complex bits and pieces and and you know lots of post-it notes let's say and then organize them in a way that delivers a reasonable plan and um, you know I'm not so great on the detail when it comes to execution but I can you know at at the sort of top line get that done and then the other things I've learned about myself through the strengths program is I really have no interest in what happened before so context is really low for me but futuristic and maximizer are my uh, number three and four and so I want to make something as big as possible <laughs> you know and and out into the future um, it just explained so much mm. uh, it's amazing and so you know you're sort of unlocking this knowledge um, and I, you know I've been doing this sort of thing for a long time but there's still lots to learn so I'm I'm really stoked with a for myself just understanding that it, it makes me better I think and being able to leverage it but also importantly um just knowing the risks associated with overusing a strength mm. and so you know relationship wise i can get really into this kind of conversation <laughs> to the detriment of, of others and so to find the balance um and i can be too futuristic and too big thinking to the detriment of what really needs to be achieved so i've got to tone that stuff down um sometimes 
Well, that's good for the self-awareness piece, but um, Catherine, you've missed one. You've said you're a relator, a ranger, you're maximizer, you're futurist, but there was a fifth one, adaptability. Ah, you knew. I did know. <laughs> yeah, and that's a pretty powerful one, um, super useful, mm. but also the one that probably gets me into trouble the most. <laughs> How so? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I just... Um, you know, I can be so adaptable that it's actually a problem. And, you know, sometimes it causes me to just go, you know, sort of go with the flow instead of being a bit more decisive. Or my adaptability for you, for example, and, you know, and fitting in this conversation might have impacted others. And that's possibly not, you know, not mm. wasn't the right thing to do. So, um, yeah, it, it catches me out every once in a while the others i've got under control but adaptability is, is the one i'm working on the most well then as well <laughs> you don't want the perception that you're going too thin but just by saying yes or you're curious or just flowing along with it when sometimes you need to throw the hammer down of like these are my barriers right yeah yeah totally so what do you what are yours do you know not that one i used it i had a different one that i um did basically my protagonist but uh extremely um curious but also i i have a i'm i'm a pretty similar to yourself where you can kind of arrange i can see through complexity and simplify it really well but then the problem is i can't not help myself from actually going and doing the thing so as soon as like i find something regardless of it's smaller go i just have to go and create or do it I, my body just can't not um act on it like i i, I my body will not physically let me sit there and just be like oh that'd be a nice thing but no nah, stuff it how do we try to do something for it so it gets it, it gets out of the system as soon as i try it it's done it's like cool but it's a it's a um it's maybe just a thing of validating the external output after i potentially do it was what was in my head before it happened so it's usually just this kind of fight that i'll balance against myself with it but yeah. um and that once again uh <laughs> probably you know ruffles affairs the wrong way in different realms but uh, the way I think of it, as long as you're in my kind of little rule is, as long as they know your intent is right, you'll get a lot more leeway. And I just would rather be older with a less life regrettage percentage than doing, than have, than wake up like at like 70 being like, man, I wish I had the balls to try this. Or I wish I, the shoulda, coulda, woulda thing. Like I just can't, I can't do the shoulda, coulda, woulda. Um, I've seen too many people do it and it just really, it mo like their future regret motivates me not to have regret now. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, a lot of us get to be a lot older before we realise that that's important. You know, you're too worried about what other people think and I've certainly become less so in that regard mm. as I've got older. Uh, and think I it's think that's... Do you think that's yeah. an age that's an age thing, or do you think it's an experience thing, or do you think it's a career thing, or a personal thing, or? I think it's a combination of all those things, and mm. you know, we hit we hit maturity at different different ages and stages. Different experiences drive different things. So, mm. you know, I think in some things you build loads of confidence in a particular area, and and that's all good. It means you can get the job done. But I think you know this sort of idea of wisdom over time comes with all of those things and you know i think we're all students of of getting to that place of wisdom um over our lifetimes and uh you know i just find that really interesting i probably spend a bit more time you know gazing out at the waves thinking about that sort of stuff now than i ever did before when i was super worried about 
just getting the job done and worrying about what other people thought. Well, then it's that whole thing of, you know, the young buck on the come up. It's the status of the alpha or the ego and the positioning and the, like, being allowed to be heard and all these other things. And what I've found interesting in my journey looking, you know, talking to leaders and seeing some amazing leaders in action is watching how they already know potentially where it's going to go and they sit back and they just watch watch the, the river happen but they already know wh- where it's at and then they just come through with just the right bit so it's not necessarily what i've seen about what they say or whatever it's like it's the when they say it has been the thing so you can say at the front and it's just like it, it, it's you're hitting the wall because everyone's still got to try and you know swing the dicks out trying to do this and that and blah, all this energy but after it's all calmed down it's it feels like the best the better the leader the better the timing it feels for what they say and when and and usually it's less not more (laughs) it is so true and i think you know i think over time you learn patience well i certainly have Mm. you know where you might know the answer early but actually people need to have the experience in order for it to fully land with them and you know when you've got the benefit of time and sort of hindsight and life experience i guess you realize that actually the time that it takes for people to have that experience isn't really that long at all and so there's nothing lost in waiting two weeks or you know a day or even an hour depending on context it just um it just has more impact but knowing knowing when yeah knowing those moments to actually pull it who's the who's the best leader you've ever seen in person up close oh wow what a question in person up close i might have to come back to you on that i'll oh. just process that in the back of my back of my head so we can keep talking no no, but, no. Uh, i, I this is a tough one well you know how people will talk about like in sports people would talk about michael jordan's aura they walked in they could feel his thing um, I was in a room over in Australia and uh, Sawili Apiata walked in. He walked in the room and the presence of the room changed. Like the flipping energy. Like I've never felt anything like it in my life. I'm like, what? And then I've been in other rooms with, you know, different, you know, leaders and stuff. And and weirdly, I was this um, last little bit of was at this conference. There's all these smart people in the room, whatever. And I'll give props to, to this person here. Um... Vic Crone, there she let, so she read the room amazing. I gave her props after it because no one picked it. But basically, you know, there's about 20 people in the room. Everyone's trying to get their thing in, talking about the future and all this other stuff. And then she just kind of like just casually but confidently just like, excuse me, um, that person would like to say something. And just, and it kind of just set the tone of everyone like, hey, all you alphas, calm your shit down this isn't about you let's flip and listen to the to people who actually have something to say and it was just a really it was just a nice snippet of a great leadership moment where it would be so easy just to get engulfed with the wall of everything but just stopping and actually acknowledging and especially a lot of the rooms like that there's a lot of introverts who may not be comfortable but being able to really read the energy of people you may not have met before and to read that and then get the timing right it's like a for what I've seen, it feels like these great leaders, they've got this EQ dance that they're in against the world and they are just like kind of getting their time and getting the position and seeing it. And and it's something that 
I didn't think I would find interesting and the older I'm getting and the more I'm getting close to smart people that are doing really cool things, the more I'm realizing that's the greatness. That's the that's the thing right there which is really going to help drive it forward too, you know? Yeah, so in that context, I think it would have to be um, a former colleague who actually sits on the UPCO board, Bryn Fosberg. So he's, um, he's an American guy uh, who I had the privilege of working with for a really long time, but he has had that ability from a very young age, actually. And, you know, even now, if I need some advice or, um, or help with something, you know, the way that he goes about providing that uh, is, you know, is pretty special. So, you know, we work remotely from each other now. He's, as I say, US-based. But, um, yeah, back in the day when we had the opportunity to be in the room, he would be that guy mm. who made sure every voice was heard um, and people just, you know, adored him. The room would go quiet when he walked in to speak um, and everyone always listened to what he had to say. It was a significant influencer in the context of the corporate, uh, but also beyond. And, you know, he's, he's been awarded now and honoured in different ways outside, you know, in the broader community. So I guess that's a reflection of a pretty impressive leadership. I like seeing when mana translates from culture into commerce and they can roll through with that presence. And it's like, it's not, it's, it's not like what they've done, it's who they are. And then that, yeah. that, that goes unquestioned. So I, I love stuff like that. So maybe it's a quick little segue. In your, um, on your LinkedIn when I was um, checking it out, you know, I, I talk about this, this intersection of culture, community, and commerce. That's just kind of like this little pocketed thing which always kind of bubbles around me. But then you've got, you've got people, planet, and technology, obviously in the world that you're in. When you looked at your career so far and you've thought of the different intersections they haven't how have the intersections changed for you because you've got people planet technology now has it always been that was there something before how did how did that kind of that little sweet spot or icky guy whatever get to where it's at now yeah interesting question um i you know i thought about that a lot as i sort of brought that together probably five or so years ago now but you know Technology, in the way that we understand technology today, didn't exist when I first started out. So, you know, I, my first job was in the hospital. Um, you know, I was a medical technician and all the equipment was analog. Um, my first experience or exposure to technology was getting on a team that was working on the upgrade from analog to digital tech um so ecg machines and eeg machines and things and i had early exposure to the likes of siemens and phillips and other companies that were building these massive pieces of equipment way back then you know they weighed a ton and and you certainly couldn't carry them from one ward in the hospital to the other but uh i didn't realize at the time that that was actually super interesting to me and it wasn't until i came across trimble sort of later on and just by accident more than anything else, um, that I got into tech and developed a real passion for the the influence and impact that technology could have on the world. The possibility. Yeah, absolutely. Unbelievable. And, you know, Trimble's tagline for, you know, for a really long time, 25 years or more now, has been transform the way the world works. 
And we were out there doing that every day using technology. It wasn't about getting rid of jobs. It was just about making things more efficient, making measurement more accurate, um, really changing people's lives in a you know super meaningful way and making their work easier and more meaningful and, and um, just getting better results. And so I guess that's the tech sort of part. And then I've just always been, you know, a bit of a gadget person. My husband is too. So, I, you know, when he, he buys things. I just kind of think about it, but he buys lots of gadgets. So he's got all the things. Gadgety kind of house, um, household. But, you know, and then the planet piece I've always cared. I've always been a bit of a greenie. So, you know, trees and nature and environment. I, you know, one of my happiest places has been out in my garden dirt under my fingers and you know if I need to sort of detox <laughs> from from busy week or whatever I can get outside and within you know 15 20 minutes I'm just into it and um you know I love this uh, well nature you know you plant a seed you watch it grow into something amazing you know you collect the seed and you replant it and I've been working through that process with my three-year-old granddaughter the last 12 months we're into our second cycle of growing peas and wow. you know just the joy that you get from through the eyes of a child experiencing that and she's just old enough to kind of remember um, back far enough to to you know what we've been through so I really love that um, on our property we've planted loads and loads of trees and you know we we get out in it uh, as much as we possibly can um and then the people piece i think is interesting i have found a happy place in really working with leaders and it, you know it tends to be younger leaders and helping them navigate the journey of leadership in the context of work and and so when those things come together um, where I can you know be in a role where technology is at the sort of heart of it it's good for the planet um, and the uh, the opportunity exists to sort of have influence uh, and relationships with the leadership of an organization then I'm in my super happy place and there's a big red heart in the heart in the middle of all of that yeah it's awesome the uh We've we've started with my, my, I've got two daughters, three and five. We've started the whole uh, little backyard garden thing too, and just even just watching the cycle of I'm watering this thing, and then I'm now here's a tomato, and then giving that to granddad and doing a thing like it, it's that that cycle around. It's it's pretty cool. I was gonna ask, do you feel in the next hundred years for the rest of your career that that intersection will change, or are you all in on that forever because that is clear where the future is going for? Yes, necessity of the planet, but also potentially um, your, your your own passions and where it's clear everything's going to head. One of the things I struggle with is this sort of whole social impact piece, and oh, that, that that's missing from my you know from my Venn diagram in some way. You know, I come at that from the perspective of if you're building a great business, um, if you're doing good for the planet, um, if you're supporting leadership development then you know social good will come from that um but i do wonder in my own context whether i would get more directly involved in supporting social enterprise and um you know more of that sort of community type work over time so i'm not sure but i think there'll always be an element of uh 
leadership support there'll always be technology and there's definitely a planetary environmental good piece to me because that just that's just right right at my core mm. so that um Aka, you just won the um the high-tech emerging uh, company of the year this this year yeah 2023 um yeah, yeah just just being con- congrats when you think of the weight of that or the message of that what did that mean to the business is it like, was it like a validation of yes we're to the world was it like stuff you when you we could do it what was the thread or the theme or the the kind of the the what does that specific thing mean to the culture the organization the people within it that we've been trying so hard for this long people felt really um people felt really special about having been noted in that way. And I think um, it's validation of the hard work that they've done. Um, It's a really public sort of honour. And, you know, as much as you say you don't need recognition, people really thrive uh, when they see that. So, you know, people were pretty excited when I brought the award, the actual trophy into the office and, you know, and, and... positioned it with the others on the you know on the cabinet um but no i think it's validation hmm. more than anything else that the work that's been done uh is important and you know does have an impact you know i think the other thing f- for me personally and i'm not sure you know how many others really thought about it but you know it's it was the second kind of biggest award and the the winner of the big company award was sequent you know and look at what those guys have been doing so you know being one step away from that level of greatness was pretty mind-blowing mm. for me because that's the next award that you would enter yourself into and um and so you know go us it's it, that's pretty cool back to that thing on validation you know there's thinking that will happen in a c-suite of strategically where they want to go and the position or rest of it and then when for, for, for the many that don't get a chance to sit in those things they're they're on the tools they're in the weeds they're 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 building it they're solar focus on that thing i'm sure that validation part is massively huge because it almost aligns what the leadership and the management and everything's been saying out to the world and then having that come back going yes we're right it's like the walker is correct we're heading in the right side this is our north star you know like that that must feel like incredible then from a leadership's perspective to to watch like all those joy from those that couldn't be at the awards or to those to to that that have been on the journey and then that validation of like no no it's not just us that believe this the market is then dictating and validating back to us that this is great this is awesome and we're on this train together like that must feel from a um, a cultural side internally like pretty epic yeah oh it, no it really is absolutely you know i think the other thing i said i said you know i didn't really look back too much but um we had one of the founders at the awards event with us and you know he still sits on the board but um hasn't been involved in the business day to day for you know quite a number of years but it was really joyful to see that you know, the vision and dreams of a founder were, were delivering in that way yeah. um yeah it was pretty spectacular it's giving me goosebumps just kind of thinking no. about it um, but it's really hard when you know you're a company of 100 people now and you can only take a handful to 
you know, to the event itself. Um, and, you know, it was the first, I think, in-person high-tech awards f- for a while because of COVID. So, you know, there were 1,100 people there. It was a light show sort of spectac. And, um, you know, it was just awesome being in the room. Uh, and so you can't really share that experience. Um, but, uh, yeah, overall, I think, you know, people are thrilled. And they're watching, you know, some are watching the live stream. You could see photos were, were going up, you know, in our yeah, internal cool. um internal chat sites and you know all that sort of stuff it was uh yeah it was pretty special so when you um you know think of the position of um Abco now you know it's uh, go go explore get brave talk me through those words because it's not often that there's that feeling of and even words of bravery that's used kind of within the business context you know so there's obviously some crossover then i was my brain got a little bit intrigued when I read, especially the Get Brave piece um, around around that. So talk me through Go Explore and Get Brave, because I'm guessing there's a lot more to it than just four words. <laughs> yes, so, um, so this sort of idea of Go Get is part of our To Be Unveiled sort of um, brand, which you know, you'll start to see more of. And uh, Go Explore and Get Brave are just one of many uh, sort of pairings that our brilliant branding agency have kind of come up with uh go explore get brave uh is the one that i chose for me so it's not necessarily you know upco um upco only um for me it was about you know exploring what's possible you know i've i've come back into full-time work after having you know not thought that i would do that um you know let's explore what that looks like how far can you go those kind of things um and get brave is about just yeah i mean all the stuff we talked about before Mm. really um just being being present being out there trying things um seeing what lands and you know and it's all about growth really just um personal development sort of stuff so that's that's for me why i chose those and at some point you might see them change when uh when yeah. I find something else that's meaningful for me at in the moment. So if you were 20 now, looking at the leader that you've become now, would you have thought that was far-fetched, doable, like definitely going to happen? When you look back at the future you now, what would do you think? What do you think? You're 20 looking at who you've become. I think I should have sort of gone explored and got braver a lot earlier. Huh. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's probably why it sits with me now. Actually, it's it's a reflection as much as anything, and just a reminder how important that is. You know, we had the opportunity as a family to live offshore for you know, a few times in different countries. We sort of in France and Germany and the UK, and then you know more recently in the States. Um, it, you know, all that contributes to the sort of leader that you become um, probably would have been, you know, didn't go to Burning Man in the States. Kind of wish I did. Um, yeah, go you. It was, um, you know, that just didn't really factor. But I think, you know, a braver me would probably give stuff like that a go. So that would be, you know, in short, just just go hard, go early and, you know, take, take the learning, um, which, you know, I certainly have done. Oh. I'm... You know, I'm the 
the consequence of all the stuff that I've done over the last, you know, decades. But um, yeah, probably would have accelerated some things. Now, because you didn't maybe, I don't know if it's explore or playing it safe earlier in your career was is the, the right thing, but do you now feel you're paying catch up a little bit and it's almost better because you've got more options to do it? You know, you're at the C-suite, you've got movement, you've got the ability to pull different levers. Is your, I guess, earlier years of not going as hard giving you more, I guess, bravery and leadership now to really try and, and do? Like, has that actually made you a better leader now than potentially you would have been? I think it's making me a better leader. I don't yeah. think I'm all the way there yet. Um, you know, there's, there's, always, there's always doing better, um, I think. And, I, you know, I think you sort of understand that a bit more when you're older, you are a work in progress. Yeah. Um, you know, there is no end point. So it's... Um, yeah, it's just interesting to kind of reflect on that. But, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think I'm a better leader now than I was 20 years ago. Um, patience is a big part of that. Um, not uh, being not being in too much of a hurry to, to get a result, mm. um, even when it's super important. And in actual fact, you know, the most important things often are better, uh, you know, better paced a little bit more slowly than rushing into it. So... Um, yeah, lots of learning. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I get it. But speaking of, speaking of rushing, you, you know, you look at the if I zoom out to the world right now, you look at the possible electrification electrification of the world. Do you think we are rushing or too patient when it comes to the future of energy and batteries and electric or whatever at a, at a macro? How do you think our humans' patience or lack of patience is is going so far? I don't think that we're thinking enough about it um, to have the right outcomes. So, hmm. you know, all the rush to four-wheel passenger cars being electrified, for example, just replaces the passenger car. So you're not dealing with congestion. Um, you, you know, you're still having to sit in your car and drive to work and and or do whatever it is, you know, get from point A to point B. And mostly, it's only a single person sitting in a in a four wheel car. So you know, I think we need to spend time thinking about the bigger picture and what it is we ultimately need to achieve. You know, I was recently at the Micromobility Europe uh, event. Gosh, when was that? Back at the end of May, maybe. Um, and I had a a keynote presentation but the person who spoke before me was the deputy mayor of Amsterdam and you know you're immersed in the Amsterdam city environment for three days and it's pretty special you know there's bikes and there's cars and there's you know there's grandmothers and grandchildren there's no electrification of bicycles you know even needed because grandma learned as a three-year-old to ride a two-wheeler and she's still doing it at you know 85 Um, And you've got cars and motorbikes and things just all sort of doing this really nice dance, just coexisting. They had a 50-year strategy to get to where they're at. It's a long, it's a long game. And, you know, we've got this sort of crisis of climate change and everything associated with that going on, which is causing us to be scared and worried about it. But I don't think it's causing us to think sufficiently about what the solutions are and the solution in my mind involves 
a high degree of micromobility and you know getting people that last mile or kilometre um, you know efficiently um, we're not solving for that we're putting electric ferries in but then you know people still have to walk a long way to you know to get to where they need to go so you know how do we fix for that um, I don't know what it's like where, where you generally are but you know around Tauranga you've got these massive buses that have got one person in them so you know putting more buses on isn't solving the problem either um, so yeah I think we need a master plan I think we need to think about it and I think you know it needs lots of input but Amsterdam's a great example mm. 50 years uh, maybe we don't have 50 years and maybe things can move more quickly but it might be 30. Well the question then becomes who's the brave soul that's going to step up to say the uncomfortable thing of what needs to be said and usually in local politics that doesn't happen <laughs> no it's right and you know the, the other the other thing for me at the moment you know in and around subsidies so you know we've seen conversion in norway for example and you know the nordic countries generally where i think now more than uh half the kilometers driven in the last year in norway have been in electric vehicles so you know they've they've reached that tipping point um, and subsidies have played a key role in getting people to convert now I haven't actually been to Norway for a while so I don't know what congestion's like in Oslo or, or you know other uh, major centres but um, they're, they're doing their thing you know here in New Zealand we have subsidies that um, are really targeted at people who can afford to do it without a subsidy and we're not solving for, um, you know, that micromobility sort of last mile need in a meaningful way. Um, you know, our two by two electric moped has never uh, been uh, on the subsidy list or, you know, that classification of vehicle. And yet it's a great way to get around. And you think about one person in a passenger car, <laughs> one person on a on an electric motorcycle or, a, you know, an e-bike or just a bicycle uh, has an impact on congestion and, you know, and collectively, if there's enough of them, on carbon footprint too. So I think we've got a lot of work to do here at home to um, to have an impact in the right way. Well, Needs a plan. Well, it's good with brave leaders like you or getting braver leaders like you that we can at least start to have more of those conversations. I really appreciate your time to, I know you're a extremely busy person, but I appreciate your adaptability and your time schedule to be able to have this chat and the futuristic thinking we've been ha having to have around maximizing the possibility to arrange what a new world can be as we relate to each other. Oh, you see what I, I did there? Well done. <laughs> <laughs> You've got it. I'd love to see your strengths profile at some point. <laughs> oh, I don't, I, my, my mother doesn't. I don't think I do. <laughs> but, <laughs> Appreciate, enjoy, anyway. enjoy the sun, enjoy the mount, and um, best of luck with everything for the future. Congrats on um, the High Tech Emerging Company of the Year for 2020 at the High Tech Awards, which was mega, and all the rest of it. So go explore, get brave, and thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks so much. Really appreciate the time.